Liza is a nutrition counsellor at the London Centre for Intuitive Eating, while Bran is a research assistant for the Generation Victoria Gen B study at Murdoch Children's Research Institute, as well as a private practice dietitian at the Wellness Workshop. Both Liza and Bran strongly advocate for positive food psychology and the utilisation of non-diet and health at every size paradigms. Additionally, they are co-hosts of their own podcast, The Pantry Party. We are very glad to have another duo on the podcast to discuss these paradigms whilst working in the nutrition and dietetics profession. Please welcome Liza and Bran. Hi, Liza and Bran. Welcome. How are you? That's great to hear. Yeah, we're good. Just started uni, so um, a bit busy, but yeah, we're really thankful you could come um, and give us a bit of your time to get to know you. So we always like to start off um, with uh, some quick fire questions. Um, So the first question for you both is, are you a restaurant or home cooking kind of person? If so, which is uh, your favourite dish or place? Do you want to answer first do you want me to go first yeah I am I can go first I am a 100% home cook quest like home cook person um I don't really know what a go-to like dish would be I cook a lot of bread I make a lot of curries and like I like a good slow cooked um like a nice you know rich kind of dish um but yeah it's I feel like I um, I try and recreate things that I would have had at restaurants in my home kitchen because I have a pretty good knowledge of like how things are cooked in the restaurant industry, if that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Is that from like past experience or you just like tried and tasted so much you kind of know it? Yeah, I mean, I used to work, I, I have worked at a couple of restaurants and cafes and so I kind of know how their processes work. Um, and also I think the the like, celebrity chefs and stuff that I follow and watch and like follow their recipes they, they have a quite a restaurant style of cooking so like mm-hmm. you know people like Otto Lange and um mm-hmm. you know like Sabine Nozra and like all of those sorts of people who have a very culinary focus on their food so it's nice to have to be able to recreate really nice food in your home kitchen yeah for sure and you kind of get yeah that restaurant quality for like that home price which is yeah, good. Exactly. <laughs> How about you, Bran? I, even after you guys were talking about it for two minutes, can't make a decision. So I'm going to sit on the fence because I'm a chronic fence sitter until I make up my <laughs> mind. Um, I do like both. I like, I think with cooking at home, I feel like I need to have heaps of time and to really immerse myself in it to be able to enjoy the process. So like, at the moment, I made pasta from scratch a few times. I've liked that because I've had like the whole afternoon to kind of just chill out, listen to music and do it myself. Mm. Um, but I think if it's a hybrid, I love having takeaway at home, just like mm-hmm. in my PJs, but having food that somebody else has made for me is just the ultimate goodness, especially at the moment. Um, but yeah, in saying that, like I definitely cook a lot of my meals. Like I very rarely get takeout. So I think that's why I like it so much when I do get it. Yeah. No, I think ISO is probably like probably the perfect time, yeah, to combine the both. And that actually leads perfectly into our second question about what have you enjoyed most about isolation? <laughs> Damn it, I can't use the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> you go first, Liz. We'll we'll continue the pattern. Um I think I mean 
in the context of most people who would be listening to this, I'm assuming they would have been probably in Australia, more specifically Melbourne. And so I've had a very different experience with isolation than most people in that I have been working from home pretty much alone in isolation since March. Um, wow. And we're recording this at the beginning of August. So um, I haven't really had a period of relief yet. Um, but having said that, I've actually really liked the shift in lifestyle and the way that I've been able to take a lot more time for myself and slow down a bit with the pace that I'm working at. Um, because I think when we're, especially when you're in like your first job, you're just like, go, 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 work till you drop. Um, and it's really easy to burn out. And so it's been really good to sort of you know, check in on my self-care throughout this period and kind of just take some time for myself. So that's definitely been my favourite thing, plus all of the food that I can make. <laughs> I feel like I'm the same, 100%. I was like, yeah, pretty much going to say the same thing. I think especially in like current society and especially I think in the nutrition and dietetic field there's a lot of you've got to hustle to be able to to be able to do what you love um and I am really enjoying this excuse to just chill out be at home um because I don't know about you guys but when I was at uni I was working like multiple jobs as well as doing the uni load and it's kind of been that way since the start of uni until pretty much this year for me. So mm. it's been really, really good to just like have an excuse to stop and relax and really check in. Yeah, I think that's the good thing. I think a lot of our guests have kind of said similar things just to like be kind of forced to stop. And like you yeah. said, it's just like this field as well. We're definitely go-getters. So to have that um, time to take a step back and yeah, like you said, Liza, about that self-care is just so, so important. Um, so our third question is, what have you been consuming recently? Either a book, a show, or an article? I have been consuming. Um, can I include podcasts in this? I feel like that, I mean, yeah. surely. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I have not shut up to Bran about over the last, like, six weeks, and I keep telling her to read it and to listen. But my, like, favourite thing at the moment is... <laughs> um, everything from Aminatu So and Anne Friedman, so the Call Your Girlfriend podcast and their new book, which has just come out, which is called Big Friendship. Um, they talk about, like... Charles, <laughs> <laughs> um, So they talk a lot about... Like, oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good. Um, basically, the idea of big friendship is treating your friends in, kind of in the same way that you would a relationship, like having people that are really meaningful to mm. you and having people who are really there to like, they've got your back, they're there to support you through thick and thin. And mm. regardless of distance, um, they're there for each other. And so their book is kind of about how they've made that work and the different sort of aspects of their friendship, looking at relationships and career stuff and all of that. And I think it's just come for me at a really good time in my life because mm -hmm. I'm obviously cut off from everyone else and having the time to really reflect on the people in my life and how that's working. And so I really just appreciate all of the work that they've done on this and kind of put it all together. Um, I sent Brand an article or the website for Shine Theory just before we got onto this because mm -hmm. we were talking about how, I mean, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but obviously, um, like we know you guys listen to our podcast. I think it's really great that you've been able to kind of continue this work, but in a more specific space with 
like Monash people, mm. um, which we just don't have the capacity to do anymore. Um, mm. And I think it's something that people really need. And so the whole like shine theory thing really appeals to me in that it's about supporting like people who are also like rather than seeing people as competition, seeing them as your peers and really holding each other up so that we can all do better as a collective. Um, because as we talk about a lot, you know, people who are in more marginalized positions, whether it be by race or body size or socioeconomic status, whatever it might be, you're on the back foot and you have a disadvantage. Even as women, we have a disadvantage in this world. And so it's really important to kind of rally together and hold each other up. Um, so yeah, really been enjoying that. That was a very long-winded answer, but <laughs> yes, big friendship and the Call Your Girlfriend podcast. It just like keeps me going. Mm, no, that's awesome. And Bran, do you have something similar or a bit different? Mine's like <laughs> nowhere near as deep as that. Um, so I'm reading a book at the moment on a, on a similar trend, but not really. It's called Uncanny Valley by Anna Weiner. Um, okay. And it's about a woman kind of making it in the Silicon Valley and kind of just being a female within quite a, an aggressively male dominated <clears throat> um, industry um, and sort of all the nuances. And she's a writer by background. So like she's very pro poetic about the way that she writes it, but also very, I guess everything she writes is, it resonates a lot. Um, and I think for me, I really like tapping into things that are outside of nutrition and kind of getting I know a broader, broader concept of the world and <laughs> a less wanky way um, <laughs> saying that. So yeah, I've really enjoyed reading that. And then this weekend as well, this is totally like off topic, but something that I love. Um, the domestic netball comp started within Australia. Um, mm. And that wasn't, that's something that like, I've played since I was like six years old and something that I'm freakishly nerdy about um so I, I they were thinking of cancelling it so I'm really really glad that it started this weekend and they've been broadcasting it and it's just been a joy to have back in my life because we haven't been playing obviously for the last god I haven't played a match since January which is the longest I've gone in a long time so um mm. nice to have a bit of Nettie in my life again <laughs> yeah. yeah I think it's kind of an Australian staple isn't it the girls yeah. to play netball 100 percent yeah <laughs> Cool. I think that we've, we've well and truly kind of gone, it's not really quick fire, it's more been like the slow burn of all these different <laughs> ideas, but I think that's been really cool, so we've never really done that before, um, but love it, and Big Friendship, I bought it, I knew I'd seen it on your story, and that's why I bought it, they just clicked for me, I just saw, I, I think, yeah, I bought it, and I haven't started it, but I'm really excited. And I read Dark Emu because of you, Brand, because you posted that earlier in the year. And I thought that's a book I need to read. And I just finished that. So both of you just give me so much <laughs> inspiration. So I hope everyone else who's listening will be inspired too. <laughs> so <laughs> moving on from book recommendations, we the next part of our podcast, we're going to be going to interview Liza and Brand separately and then we'll come together at the end for a bit more of a panel discussion about their podcast and um, kind of the reason why we brought them on the show or what we kind of wanted the guests, um, not the guests, the listeners to be introduced to. So we'll start with you Liza. So our first question that we ask all of our guests is what initially sparked your interest in nutrition? Um, for me, it was my enjoyment of food. Um, I, from a very young age, was like food obsessed. I love cooking, I love baking. Um, and it was always something that I had a really 
sort of strong emotional connection to and I could really see the value of food and importance of it in so many different ways. Um, and so as I was going through high school, I, um, I was quite good at science and like the kind of, you know, biology, chemistry, those kinds of things. Um, didn't really consider at all the um, social side of nutrition in that like like speaking to people and communicating with clients like I had not thought of that at all when I got into I was just like yeah nutrition sounds fun um, I also a part of it was definitely that I was very um, dissatisfied with my body and I grew up in a time with like pro Anna tumblr blogs and like there was like it was the rise of social media and so there was a lot of um, information out there around weight loss and around food and you know nutrition in that sense and so I kind of came into nutrition thinking oh well like I can learn all the secrets and I can lose weight and I can be happy um so it was sort of like a, it just made sense to me in that it was something that I could get a lot of personal gain out of but also learn more about a topic that was really interesting to me in that it sort of looked at the way that food interacts in our body and in our systems um, and then obviously as I went through the degree in the early stages of my career that my like intentions really shifted around that. But I think, yeah, that's probably why I got into nutrition. Um, I did have, you know, as I said, I was working in cafes and things throughout high school and I was kind of like, I really like food, but I don't want to live the life of a chef because that looks shit. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> you know you end up you're not working you're working horrible hours and you're on your feet all day and so I and it wasn't really academic enough for me like I'm quite um well I was at the time very academically driven and so yeah it sort of just made sense for me to go into nutrition and I hadn't really thought about what that would actually look like in terms of a career but I was like cool like seems right for me and how did you know you so you started the degree with quite a, a maybe perception of health but how did that what was that journey like from the start to the end of your degree like how did your kind of nutrition paradigm form throughout the forum for was it four years did you do the yeah which is I don't think they do it anymore um <laughs> sad because <laughs> I think I was like one of the last cohorts of it um it was a really great course and I think um the thing that kind of started, I guess, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on our podcast that you, while you're at uni, you're kind of in a position where you're getting a lot of seeds planted about the things that are potentially going to be important. And you're kind of getting a very broad knowledge of a lot of different subjects. And so as I was coming through uni, I kind of started learning about the importance of personal growth and reflection and, more of the empathy-based, compassion-based parts of nutrition I hadn't really considered before coming into it. Um, mm. I think I saw, as I was coming into nutrition, I, I think I probably saw myself going into a career more in nutrition science, like in the research field. Um, but I'd basically done dietetics because it was like I'd got the ATAR and I was kind of like, cool, it'll get me straight through and I can do whatever with it. Um, but then I guess as I went through uni and I started to understand more about, I guess, the science behind nutrition, I kind of stopped, like became disinterested in the really sort of nitty gritty, like 
scientific biochem stuff and became more interested in, in what that actually means for the person who's receiving that advice. And so mm-hmm. that was sort of where I became a little bit more interested in like the counselling skills, things like motivational interviewing and really understanding that person's perspective and the broader picture of nutrition. So I was lucky to have um, the year that I did public health, I was lucky to have Claire Palermo as my lecturer because whoever was usually taking it was on maternity leave. Um, And so she really inspired in me a passion for um, public health and understanding the social determinants of health and thinking about the bigger picture within the health industry. Um, And so that's been something that was really pivotal for me. And then going through placement and, you know, all of the various like clinical stuff that you do at the end of your degree, I, really did not enjoy that clinical nutrition setting because I felt like I wasn't having an impact in terms of the longevity of the people that I was seeing. Like I was kind of like, cool, I see this person in hospital for one day and they're probably not in a position to really listen to my advice. I don't have enough time to get to know what their situation is. And so it was really frustrating to me that I didn't really feel like I was fulfilling my purpose as a, as a dietitian. Um, And then in my third year, I was lucky enough to have a lecture from Fiona Sutherland, who is a mindful dietitian. She's got a podcast and a Facebook group, which is really great. Um, And she basically introduced me to the idea of the non-diet approach and health at every size, which at the time in third year, I was like, what is like, like my mind was blown. Um, And I was kind of sitting in a position where I recognized that my intentions for weight loss and like, you know, the kind of diety side of nutrition, I'd realized that that was a big scam um, and was kind of just looking for the vocabulary to put my experience into context of being in a larger body and being in this nutrition space where I had a really good knowledge of food, but it was sort of being warped and twisted by the like diet industry. Um, and so that kind of started my journey into non-diet nutrition, looking into intuitive eating and health at every size. And that kind of like kicked off where I am now. So a lot of the compassion-based and empathy-based counseling skills with a non-diet perspective and more inclusive nutrition um, and working with, you know, looking at the social determinants of health and oppression and social justice. And so it's just like ended up being a really nice um, yeah, space for me. I feel very comfortable where I am in the nutrition field at the moment. And just on that, you've graduated with a, you know, a degree that probably some of the, I guess, I'm trying to think of the way to say it, like a, maybe a different kind of approach to say the approach that you have now. So what was that journey like in terms of upskilling and kind of that, you know, I guess, learning more of those counselling and motivational interviewing skills and health at every size that were not really taught um, in uni? Yeah, um, I guess, well, first of all, the thing that I always tell when people ask me this question, I get quite a few like students and new grads asking me about this, is don't put the pressure on yourself to like rush into everything, do like spend big money on all this CPD like you don't need to go that fast like it, you've got your whole career ahead of you basically so don't feel the pressure to run it rush into things um but having said that so basically what I did was I took a year off um nutrition 
I worked in admin, I was a receptionist at a physio clinic, which I thought like my motivation behind that was basically so that I could learn the ins and outs of private practice from the admin side of things with the intention of eventually doing my own private practice or like, I guess just like broadening my skill set so that I could eventually do something like that. And while I was sort of taking that break from dietetics, or I wouldn't say a break because it's still sort of in the right industry. I just wasn't practicing as a dietitian. Um, I got a really great non-diet mentor who kind of led me through, um, you know, like key learn key areas of learning, key CPD things that I could do um, as a new grad. So I did, um, I didn't really do any much formal training in it, but I ended up listening to a lot of podcasts. There's a really great um, podcast on motivational interviewing. I think it's called Talking to Change. I can send you the links so that you can put it in the show notes, but that's a really good um, resource on like understanding motivational interviewing a little bit more, because I think the way that it's taught as in nutrition like courses is very much I'm going to motivationally interview you to agree with me like it's it's still opposing your agenda as the clinician onto the client um and so I yeah I started learning a little bit more about that I guess until I really got into the job that I'm in now I didn't really understand the the focus on counseling skills so I was kind of like unknowingly broadening my understanding with this stuff. Whereas like when I started this job, it suddenly became very apparent that there was like a word for what I was learning. Mm. Um, and so basically that first year and a bit before I got this job, I was just listening. I was following a lot of people on Instagram who were in more diverse and marginalized bodies and listening to their experiences. I did a course on incorporating body positivity into my practice, which is actually not running anymore, but that was from one of my friends, Danny, who was on our podcast in season one. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the important thing, since I've come into this job, I've done a lot more learning on this stuff. So I'm lucky to be in a very, very supportive workplace in that, um, you know, we've kind of got the means available to learn in a way that actually supports our continuing professional development rather than, I know a lot of the hospital setting sort of positions, you end up having to do approved CPD by the hospital. And so you don't get much choice in what you're doing. Um, but we did stuff around trauma informed care, critical dietetics, um, more on the, the sort of motivational interviewing, um, self-compassion sort of side of things with clients. And then the LCIE, um, applying intuitive eating and non-diet approaches into practice course, which is a really, really good foundational sort of overview of all of these things. Um, and then I've also done Marcy Evans. Um, it's kind of like an introduction into eating disorders course, which is online mm -hmm. as well. Um, and the, what's it called? The Health Not Diets intro to non-diet approach which is a free online course so that's where I tell people when you're a new grad and you've got no money that's where you should go first because mm. um, it gives you a really good understanding of like the basic research behind that stuff so yeah I've kind of cobbled together a bunch of different things over time and I think the key for me with CPD has been finding things that I feel really resonate with me individually and professionally and sort of rather than feeling like you need to do something because you should do it doing it because you want to do it um, mm. 
which is difficult to find because it's hard to know where to go for those resources. But I think, again, like I was saying, there's no rush. You can always keep learning and keep supplementing your degree as you go forward. Mm. And you've already alluded to the role that you're in at the moment, but could you just tell any of our listeners that maybe are not sure, you know, how, so you're in London and is your title, you're a nutrition counsellor at the London Centre for Intuitive Eating? Well, can you tell us a little yeah, bit about right. what your role involves? Yeah, definitely. So um, I guess, yeah, so I, I moved to London last September to take on this job. Um, again, we've talked about the, the of how I actually got that job in our podcast a lot. I basically applied for it, wasn't expecting to get it, wasn't expecting to even get an interview, and then it all just happened very quickly and suddenly I was in London. Um, but it's basically without really knowing the full implications of it, it's basically like my dream job. Like it's like a really good fit for me. Um, it is a lot of work in that it is a small business and we're in private practice and we've got quite a high profile in that, you know, we have a lot of like people asking us things and we've got a lot of plates spinning. Um, but yeah, so basically we use the term nutrition counsellor because in the UK, you can be a registered nutritionist, which means you can basically practice as a dietitian um, with a, like, just as a nutritionist. So it's kind of a different, like, it's a different system to the Australian system, but basically we're all qualified, like, diet, like, clinical dietitians. Um, but we use the term nutrition counsellor because I'm going to give you, like, a meal plan and, and you know, guide you through this diet and guide you through how to change things based on my expertise. Doing by counselling people is putting them at the centre of their experience with us, giving them the expertise of their own body and letting them understand, you know, we're counselling them on how to improve their wellbeing and how to eat intuitive. So we have a big focus on intuitive eating, which I'm assuming most people will have kind of heard of, but the way that I tend to describe it is that it's taking the focus away from external factors of hunger and fullness and food and everything. So rather than thinking, oh, I need to eat this because of the ADHE or I need to eat this because of X diet plan that I'm on, you're kind of using your internal compass to decide your food choices and eating. Um, there's a big focus on understanding body image and internalized fat phobia and diet culture. So it's a much more inclusive way of eating that basically empowers the individual to have some agency and confidence around their own health. I know for those listening, it might be a little bit confusing how this intersects with clinical nutrition, mm -hmm. but it's basically, it's hard to describe when you have like, you don't, you're not in the space, but mm -hmm. you can, um, it's very integrated with MNT and clinical dietetics in that, using my, your expertise as a clinician to support someone in looking after themselves in line with their goals rather than what you sort of decided for them. Um, so I know that doesn't really make sense, but um, it's, yeah, basically the focus is on the individual. It's, it's focusing on person-centred care and, yeah, just supporting them in making choices that actually resonate with them and, and give them confidence and agency over their own health so a lot of what we do is advocacy and 
educating people and helping them understand their own situations. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the clinical part of my job in a nutshell. Um, we work one-on-one -on -one with clients and kind of base our work around the intuitive eating framework, but we also see clinical eating disorders in the sort of end stages of their recovery when they're coming through, um, you know, they've, they're in inverted commas weight restored and are eating a reasonable meal pattern, um, but we're helping them sort of make that into a sustainable long-term recovered phase so that they can like, you know, not feel that kind of pressure to eat in a certain way anymore. Um, and then aside from the clinical work, we do quite a lot of stuff around creating um, resources for clinicians and for individuals. So we've got a series of weight inclusive guides, which are basically how you would incorporate clinical nutrition into certain health conditions. So we've done things on stuff like PCOS and NAFLD and IBS, um, bunch of stuff on insulin resistance, gestational diabetes. Um, what are some of the other ones? There's, I think there's seven of them out now and we've got another two coming before the end of the year. Um, so basically include like a webinar for clinicians and then resources for the clinician and the client to use together. Uh, other, if people are interested in this space, great resource. Um, I feel like I'm like plugging my, <laughs> my work now, but. No, it's um, great, it's great. So there's that aspect. <laughs> yeah, and then I also do quite a lot of the um, like social media and writing content creation for LCIE. So all of the stuff that goes on Instagram and through our newsletters, I've generally written. So that like at the moment there's um, just come out announcement about the UK's obesity strategy, um, which we've kind of responded to and, and helping, uh, helping people understand that and what that means for them. So yeah, it kind of, it's like the perfect storm of all of, like all of the different things I'm interested in. So it's really mm. a great feeling job, although it is very time intensive and mm. like, it's pretty heavy, but it's, it's great, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah that's amazing to hear that you've kind of found something that um I guess includes all your passions and yeah um and it's something it's quite a different area than what we're used to hearing um and yeah thank you so much for sharing um about that and we will definitely be listing all those resources um for anyone who wants to check it out so now over to you Bran um we kind of want to know what sparked your interest in nutrition yeah, I think I was pretty much the opposite of most people. I was a really fussy eater as a kid, was not really like excited about food until I think I got into like a couple of years into the degree, to be honest. Um, but I, so I definitely came from the more kind of biochem. Um, I knew I wanted to, you know, like do something with people in my career and biochem was something that I kind of had a knack at. Um, and food just seemed like a really good vehicle to be able to talk to people about something that they kind of have to consume or have to do, I guess. Um, and that's how I, I kind of decided pretty like, like halfway through high school, that's what I wanted to do and kind of set everything towards that. So it's funny because I thought, yeah, I thought I knew what I wanted to do and I've definitely ended up in a very different place, but I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, but that's so interesting of like, cause we've learned um, also recently about 
children and um, like eating patterns and things like that. So what kind of, uh, was that, was there a, any point as like a switch or was there something during the course that was just like, I'm where I'm meant to be? Yeah, I think looking back, I think like the nutrition degrees equipped me with so much, both of my degrees, more than I thought I was really capable of having in my skill set, I guess, both personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of went in, I think it was after I did the second year unit, is it Health Across the Lifespan? Was that the one yeah. that you guys probably just done? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I loved learning about kids. I like, mm -hmm. I've always loved kids in general. Um, and I was like, that's it. I want to be a pediatric dietitian. I've decided that's my end goal. Um, got to move to the UK and work at Great Ormond Street. And that was like the goal. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think I always had that passion for kids because I ended up volunteering at um, a Stephanie Alexander Kitchen Gardening Program and kind of saw the public health angle, I guess, of it. Um, mm -hmm. And it made me learn what made me want to learn a lot more about, I guess, the system wide effects that I guess if you're investing in children, you're investing in an entire generation. Um, and as much as you can't see the results straight away per se, you depending not even just with nutrition, with everything to do with health, you're going to see those knock on effects years and years later mm -hmm. on down the line. So I think that was always there for me. And no matter what area I ended up going in, I felt like I might go into that kind of pediatric space. Mm -hmm. um, but then I did my first clinical placement mm -hmm. <laughs> in my master's and was like, oh, this is not for me. This is not <laughs> what I um, have. I'm just not cut out for it. It's not something mm. that, like Liza said, I think a lot of it was that I didn't have that long-standing impact. I think you can kind of tell with how I'm talking, that's something that's really important to me. I don't mm. think that instant gratification is something that sits well with me. Um, mm. And it's something that I've kind of had to grow to be okay with. Mm. Um, so I think once I, so for those who don't know, I did the Bachelor of Nutrition Science, did the Masters of Dietetics, um, and then landed a research role at the Royal Children's Hospital um, in nothing to do with nutrition. It was quality improvement um, project to do with reducing reflux medication in infants. Um, so basically for kids who have like, yeah, reflux or anything related, often they're overprescribed um, acid suppressing medications. They're trying to wind that back as much as we could and try and find a pathway to stop that when it's not necessary. Um, and I guess that sort of opened me up and the group that I was in, which was called health services research. That's where I was sort of like, this stuff is awesome. Like as much as it's not nutrition based, it's very systems level, um, mm -hmm. very much improving access and improving again, coming back to those social justice principles, improving access, improving costs, um, really breaking down barriers. And I think for me, it kind of clicked in that, you know, it, for a health system to work it needs to be able to be accessed in general and to mm -hmm. slowly chip away at it to make it accessible something that i realized i really wanted to be a part of wow that's amazing so essentially you kind of combine that like pediatric side with kind of that public health aspect yeah that you so exactly yeah so i think i definitely like liza um i think this kind of comes across both areas of my work is that the social justice side is something that really rings true and is something that I'm quite invested in. I feel like you can't really make great change unless, and you're not going to make change for individuals in general, if you're not going to be able to address the bigger, broader systematic issues. Mm -hmm. um, so being able to, I guess, tap into that and be in 
you know, in, where it's health at every size, looking at, you know, oppression and all of the gender equality and all of that stuff, or where it comes to health in terms of socioeconomic status, location, all of that side. I think it it's just really nice seeing that there's things that you can address in the bigger picture to make an individual's life that much better. No, that's, that's amazing. Um, and I think that's sometimes like, you know, in Liza's case, it's looking at like the person individually and that's where her passion is. And then looking at yours, it's like you care for that population kind of level. And I think it's both are so necessary. And yeah, that's why exactly. I think we're lucky in this field of we have like a starting point of where we can go. Like there's so much. And it's really interesting that you kind of looked essentially outside the field to kind of figure out what it is you kind of want to do in the field. So yeah, exactly. Is, and I, I think yeah. it's, um, and we've talked a little bit about, I know we keep plugging our own podcast, sorry, but something <laughs> we've definitely discussed is that, um, you know, again, like I mentioned this before, we're trained in so, so much. And I think, because I got to the end of my master's and I was quite fatigued of nutrition, to be entirely honest. I think going through four and a half years of study and especially that master's in one and a half years, just like took the passion right out of me. Um, being able to step back and try something else, even though it's not directly nutrition related, it's still used. Like I would not have gotten that my first job at the RCH if it wasn't for one of my placements in my master's. So it was using a lot of those skills that I learned throughout the degree though it's not explicitly related to nutrition, it's how you're applying those skills to a job. And mm. yeah, like I said, I, even though it's not nutrition related, I wouldn't have gotten that job if it wasn't for the experience that I was given in my education. Mm. And do you find you, with like that master, you, you did say you're quite, you were quite drained. Um, mm. So I guess going into the workforce after that period, how was that experience for you? And probably what would you recommend people who, um, in our case, plan to do the master of dietetics, what would you kind of do differently? Um, would you have done differently? Yeah. Yeah. It's something that I've thought about um, a little bit because again, I wouldn't be where I was, where I am if it wasn't for those decisions that I made when I was like 20, which is really stupid to think about. So young to be able to choose to do a master's. Um, but I think I'd really recommend taking, like Liza said, a year off after you finished a degree. Like I didn't do it after my undergrad. I went straight into the master's because I had the opportunity and I was like, I know I want to do it eventually. So I may as well. Mm. Um, and because uh, I intended to take like six months off after finishing my master's just to breathe. I was working as a um, barista, was doing netball umpiring and was working at Liza's work as well um, at the time. And it was really nice to just be working for the sake of working and not searching to apply everything that I'd learned. I got to take some time to just be like, you know what, what do I actually want to do? What am I enjoying? What kind of aspects of the degrees and re like really assess, I guess, what really sat well with me and what I tuned into and wanted to learn about more as opposed to the stuff that I was like, this is a real chore to study. This is a real mm -hmm. chore to be able to go through just to get this degree. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I definitely recommend time off if you feel capable um, mm. just to give yourself some space to think, because I think it's really easy to be forced into a job and be expected to do certain roles when you, when you graduate. Um, but being able to step back and go, is this really for me? I think is equally as important as getting, you know, your dream job or getting a job in general. Mm. 
And speaking of dream jobs, is that where you're at now or are you kind of in the process of getting there? So, yeah, where are you now? I think, um, yeah, it's a funny one. I It's not the dream job that I thought. I'm not in, you know, London as a clinical paediatric dietitian as I mm. thought in 20, you know, 2014, 2015. Mm. Um, but I really, really love my job at the moment. Mm. So I'm working on a project called Generation Victoria, um, and mm. that's through the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Um, and it's a project aiming to improve health research and the translation to practice is kind of, I guess, the most overarching thing I can say about it. Mm. Um, and I love it. It's a job that I work with a really amazing team. I'm around some incredible minds some really like, like leading pediatricians, people that I wouldn't have, you know, any time of day to talk to in any other role really. Mm. Um, and I think the good thing I, about it is that I'm learning because it's not a role that I thought I'd be going into and it's not something that I know everything about. I'm really learning on the job, learning from others. Um, and then I guess in the plus, like I did, in addition to that, so I'm doing that a couple of days a week and then I'm doing private practice as well. So in terms of that balance, I'm sort of getting both ends of the spectrum. Mm. Um, so working in that intuitive eating health at every size space. Um, and I think to me that balance sits really well, um, mm. kind of having a bit more of a, a lean on research, which I will say I hated at uni. I hated <laughs> research at uni, so it, it's not where I thought I would be. Mm. Um, but the balance to me right now, yeah, is perfect. So in, in, a, in a way, I guess I'm in the dream, dream jobs, sort of. Mm. <laughs> so just to kind of, for those listening, so you're working in both the research space and um, private practice space, as yep, well as right. kind of also in the field of paediatrics. Yeah, so yeah. all of the work done at the Murdoch Children's is all paediatric yeah, research, yeah. so they can do a whole lot of stuff. I'm kind of in the population health area, so looking yeah. at that, again, like I'm saying, that broader kind of systems change sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot to do with, like, allergies and vaccines and... Um, intergenerational health and all all sorts of stuff so they look at it from a pediatric perspective and almost like a family perspective as well mm, wow that's incredible you guys <laughs> are so like it just it really shows um that what what we see now really it could be anything in the future um and we we have um I know at this time it can be a bit difficult to believe, but there is that possibility to combine what we do want um, and what we do hope for and that it is okay to change things as well. So thank you so much both for sharing. We're probably now going to move on to the section where we're going to kind of bring you both together and look back a bit more on what you guys have done and give a bit more insight and advice to current students and um, yeah, what they can probably do um, in these circumstances to kind of be in the positions that you guys are in that you're so fulfilled and um, happy in your careers. So, Charlotte? <laughs> so I think we've talked about it a bit already, but your shared, po shared podcast, which I'll admit that's how I found out you know, so much about both of you. And I thought you, you guys were definitely one of, you know, the inspiration for us doing this project. So we thought, this is amazing. This is a, you know, 
fantastic message to get out there. Um, and, you know, we want to be kind of students trying to get more professionals um, kind of giving them space to actually share their career journeys. So can you tell us a bit about your shared podcast, The Pantry Party? So how and why did it come about? Who wants to Do you want this? to, Brian, or shall I? <laughs> <laughs> We're so um, bad at, like, timing who's talking when. It's one of our downfalls. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, go, I'll go first. I'm happy to go first. Yeah. Like, a specific memory that comes to mind. So, I think Lies and I had just... I think I just finished the Masters. Um, mm -hmm. And to be fair, we weren't, like... We weren't like sworn enemies or anything, but we weren't like best mates throughout uni when we we're in the same degree. Mm -hmm. um, we only really bonded, I think, sort of towards the like tail end of our degree about the health at every size and intuitive eating space. And we sort of caught up for brunch a couple of times. Um, and we were those really annoying people that would be there <laughs> for like three hours ordering coffees or not even really ordering anything just like having a chat for three Sit hours there with like one coffee because we were both yeah. broke and we, was, yeah. we would sit there talking for like two hours <laughs> um and i still remember when we were like we should make we should officially make this a podcast we we're at miss ruby in bentley um and <laughs> yeah and we were like this should this should actually be a thing we should actually plan this and talk about it and be able to facilitate kind of like you guys are kind of aiming with your pod as well that kind of almost peer-to-peer -peer learning I guess in a way and have a safe space for discussion that the idea evolved a lot um as our first season was a lot more of talking to people and interviewing people and trying to find out a little bit more about their stories um and those who, especially those who have gone into like I guess not traditional nutrition and dietetic paths in inverted commas mm. um but, and now it's, we sort of, you know, season two was a bit more about us and I guess fleshing out a bit more about, um, I guess, your career toolkit in a way and your values. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of, I guess, how it came about to have, have a space to talk about that because we felt no one was having those conversations. Mm. Did you want to add anything? Mm -hmm. And I guess, yeah, I guess, um, like, as Brand said, the reason we got into it was because there wasn't really much information or support out there for dads and we were kind of feeling a little bit lost with both of our careers and a little bit like we we saw all these people doing all these amazing things but we we didn't really have the resources of like how to get to where they are um and so we really wanted to explore like really dig deep into people's journeys and understand like their personal motivations and how they've kind of brought that into their career and so I guess um, the idea behind the pantry party is that the pantry part of it is looking into the tools and the skills that people have, the things that they like stock their professional pantry with in inverted commas. Um, and then the party bit is about celebrating it. And so really, you know, helping other people learn and sharing those, that information. And I guess just giving us the space to really recognize our accomplishments and like share that with other people and really kind of hold each other up because like we said you know when we graduated we had this impending feeling that oh there's no jobs and there's so much competition for the few jobs that there are and we kind of were put in a position by ourselves like we weren't forced into this but we were sort of feeling like we had to innovate and had to kind of hustle to find you know our own space within this industry and so we talked to a bunch of people who were 
in different sort of areas of the health industry, different kind of, um, you know, roles and different positions so that we could really understand, I guess, that bigger picture of like all of the different parts of our industry and what kind of keeps this system going. Um, and yeah, I guess that, you know, that was really, really valuable for us and obviously for other people as well in that mm. it's given, I guess, just normalises the struggle and normalises how much people have to work and have to kind of really have like a sense of flexibility in terms of, you know, making the most of the opportunities that you're given and kind of, you know, going with the flow, but also having a sense of, you know, riding the waves and being able to like structure your own career and bring in the things that are important to you. Because while our degree did very well in equipping us, you know, telling us sort of where we could go with it, we were sort of presented with the options of like clinical dietetics, community health, public health. And that not like wasn't really appealing to us and wasn't really available to us. And so it was about figuring out how we could kind of broaden our understanding of the industry and find our own spaces within that. Mm. Yeah, I think that we've really kind of can resonate with that, particularly in kind of by interviewing so many professionals and seeing how they got to where they are. You see, like it was a, some of it is trial and error and just giving things a go and taking risks. Like I don't think we've ever met a guest who has come on and said, "I wanted to do this, you know, be a clinical dietitian, whatever," <laughs> and I had this one job and then I just went and did it, and that's how I'm successful. Like it's yeah. It's mm. really, I think you're so right. It definitely normalizes the struggle. And I think it's really telling um, new students and graduates, you don't have to know exactly where I say, like, I'm not a student. We don't have to know where we're going <laughs> or anything. Um, but just kind of leading on from that a bit. So your podcast also gives, a, I think particularly the second season gives, uh, actually, no, and the first season, but, you know, you've really been kind of, conversing a bit more with each other in the second season and talked you know, a lot about in depth about kind of health at every size and non-diet paradigms. So we've kind of talked about it a little bit in both of your career journeys, because obviously you both kind of that um, is part of the career paths that you're, you're both on. But for people that maybe don't have an, any idea or very you know, slight idea, could you just tell us a little bit about some of the principles that do underpin a health at every size approach to nutrition and how maybe these paradigms might differ from what we're taught at uni? For me, health at every size was something that really resonated personally. Um, I identify as fat. I've always been in a larger body. Um, and as I was going through the degree and I, I vividly remember having the unit where we were talking about like anthropometry and looking at BMI and body composition, I just remember feeling so shit about myself and so shameful because I was in a larger body than most of my peers, even though I wasn't even like that big. Like looking back at that time, I was barely what would be classified as obese in inverted commas. Um, but anyway, so for me, it's something that really resonates with my personal journey with health. And I think in a nutshell, the principle behind it is that, first of all, weight is not an indicator of health. Um, and the reason for that is very complicated and, well, it's actually quite simple, but the, the understanding behind it is basically that, you know, you can be, in inverted commas, healthy biochemically, physically in a fat body, and that's fine. 
what has happened is the medical system and I guess the capitalistic lens of it has sort of taken BMI as a marker of health in order to kind of make an easy and lazy judgment of people's well-being. And so that's why we end up with so much recommendation around weight and size. But the other part of it is recognizing that as much as people try, as much as like as much effort that people put into it, losing weight is really, really, really difficult. It's barely ever achievable. It's not sustainable for most people. Most people end up regaining weight and end up in this cycle that you call weight cycling, um, which is basically where you're repeatedly gaining and losing weight. And over time, that actually has really horrible metabolic impacts and psychological impacts in that it causes a lot of body dissatisfaction. And, you know, a lot of people end up with eating disorders and that kind of thing as a result. So you've recognized that, first of all, weight isn't a marker of health. Then also that weight loss is not sustainable. So if we could lose weight, sure, maybe like we could use weight as a marker of health, but it's not sustainable. And so it's not worth trying. Um, and then the third point of it is that basically you can promote health and do like, you know, improve people's health by focusing on behavior change rather than on weight loss. So looking into things like, you know, the composition of people's diets and their meal patterns and how they're moving their bodies and, I guess this all has to be said with the caveat of, again, it's based on um, individual goals and, and goal setting based on the individual's things that are important to them rather than like, oh, 30, 30 minutes of activity a day is what you should be aiming for, like rather than having a um, agenda mm -hmm. imposed by the expert or the clinician or whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's, it's basically taking a more respectful and inclusive lens to healthcare and focusing on things that are accessible, inclusive, achievable, and are actually likely to lead to better health outcomes because people are more motivated to do the things that are going to make them feel good rather than feeling like they need to be on a diet or exercising or whatever. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of the health at every size paradigm. It can then be applied within the individual setting. It can be applied in public health. It's basically you can translate it wherever. It just takes a little bit of understanding and application to do so. Um, so if anyone's interested in learning about Hayes, I would start with, um, there's a really great paper by Lucy Aframore and someone else, I can't remember the, the co-author, um, but it's basically looking at the weight inclusive versus weight normative paradigm and the impacts of it. I can send you a link to wherever people can access it. I think it's free to access. Um, but there's so many resources and books and there's like the ASDA, A-S-D-A-H website, which has got the principles of health at every size and information there. Um, so yeah, there's lots of places to go to learn about it. Um, but it does take quite a while to kind of wrap your head around what it means because it's so different from the weight normative paradigm. Um, just quickly, I think it's Linda Bacon. Um, and all of those, that, that paper that you mentioned, I think is on the health, not diets course um, by Fiona Willow, which Liza mentioned before. So definitely go and do yeah. that. Cause there's like, yeah, free resources with it as well. <clears throat> for this whole concept, what is one thing you or what is things you wish society would kind of um, take on and uh, I guess 
learn um, in this space. And because everyone, I guess, does kind of have their own definition of what health is and what fit looks like and things like that. So what is one thing you strongly kind of, yeah, um, stand by and, uh, yeah, recommend people uh, should educate themselves on in this space? Um, I guess the main thing is just to not judge people by the way that they look um, in all aspects and like by their identity, whatever it might be. Because um, for me personally and what I quite often see happening with people who are coming into this space, it'll start with like one area of social justice and you'll be like, oh shit, this actually fits into a much bigger picture of injustice and oppression in terms of, um, you know, recognising basically weight bias which is where i sort of came into this recognizing the racist roots of that and recognizing the way that it's influenced by patriarchal values and you know benefits and disadvantages people of different ethnicities and like gender and stuff as well and so i guess the thing that um i quite often see online and that kind of thing is people who are like fat activists will be posting photos of themselves and which is actually a really helpful thing when you're in a larger body to start seeing and normalizing your own experience but a lot of the comments will be like oh you're unhealthy you need to lose weight and mm-hmm. it's like all you've seen is an image of this person you don't know what's going on for them health wise and it's that assumption that any public image of someone is public property that's so damaging because it it reinforces a lot of those like fat phobic um, that rhetoric. And so I think, yeah, basically, and, and particularly for dietetic students and nutrition students, I would say don't judge people on what they look like. Actually ask them and get to know that person and figure out like what's actually important to them. They might not have the same values as you in terms of health. They might not care about, you know, they might just be fine going onto insulin rather than managing their diabetes through lifestyle stuff. So not kind of, not making assumptions is kind of the the crux of it. Mm, Yeah, I think that's a really important message. Um, I think that needs to get out there a bit more because I think this is probably a concept we don't consider too often, but it's probably one of the more prominent ones in society, um, especially now, yeah, with more um, people uh, accepting Uh, health in every size so I think it's so amazing to have people like you advocating for this and I'm definitely going to be reading some of these um, resources you suggested (laughs) so thank you and could you we've been asking all of our guests this season to give a bit of an elevator pitch for kind of the reason why we invited them on the show so we kind of invited you to give this very comprehensive um of description we've had a great discussion about the non-diet approach to nutrition so kind of maybe you know i guess talking to say the say i'm I'm particularly liza just because of how you described your kind of interest in nutrition in terms of yeah i guess where you started from if you could kind of talk to that person like your younger self how would you kind of give a bit of an elevator pitch for why younger liza maybe should um consider (laughs) adopting a non-diet approach to nutrition Gosh, um, so I guess, and this is something I see a lot in my clients, we're not told that there is another option to health. Like, so that's the one thing that I would say, there is another way to do this. 
you do have options that don't include punishment and shame and judgment and suffering through your mental health and through your physical health to look a certain way. Um, there are more important things than the way that you look. There are lots of other things that you can experience and look into that can make your life a lot more fulfilling that don't include <laughs> losing weight. Um, I'd say this as though I had like an eating disorder. I really, I, my relationship with food was not that bad in comparison to what I see in clinic now. But mm. I guess um, knowing that there is a space and there's a community out there of people who are accepting of people's bodies, whatever size they are, whatever shape, whatever color, whatever ability. And it's okay to just be who you are. Um, in terms of the clinical practice side of things, same deal there are spaces out there for you to explore and to feel like you're accepted and a part of something that's meaningful um you don't have to contribute to your own oppression um which i know sounds very deep but basically yeah just knowing that there are other options out there and you can find those spaces um because i think a lot of us suffer through a lot of discomfort and not feeling or feeling obliged that we have to live a certain way but it's really not the case you do have the choice to opt out of the like yeah the oppression that you're experiencing mm -hmm. i'll give you yeah. a hug maybe bran i could ask you we could ask you this question say more from the the student perspective so why do you think students you know what's your kind of elevator pitch for nutrition students why should they consider of a, I guess maybe even just learning a bit more about because as we've said it's not something that in an hour we can you know educate everyone like it's, it's a huge learning it's like it's like doing almost and just another set of study right so why how could you not why can you give us a bit of an elevator pitch for why students should maybe go and do a, some more further study on the non-diet approach to nutrition after this yeah um gosh I think at, at the core of all of this, I think a lot of people just want to help others. And I think we kind of are taught or we kind of forget about the longer term picture of that a lot of the time. And I think the non-diet approach really allows the health professional to knock themselves down a few pegs and be able to help another person trust themselves on their health journey. And I think that is far more important than any short-term goals that you could you know set or achieve i think it really helps people to be in ownership of their body in ownership of the actions they have over it whether that's what society says is yes or yes or no or if that's good or bad i think it allows people to really trust themselves and respect this the body that they're in for the rest of their lives and i think that's far more valuable than short-term fear-mongering and as a health professional again i think if you can instill that in someone then you've done your job that's that's the most important part of it all is that you've helped someone be better in whatever capacity that is for them wow. um yeah sold <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> both of you are just oh my goodness mm. um and just moving on from that a bit what is kind of one skill can be anything that you think nutrition students should focus on learning that would complement their more academic study. Oh, what do you think, guys? Do you have anything coming to mind? <laughs> um, for me, 
because I'm trying to not to make this only applicable to people who are going to go into clinical positions. Mm. Stay critical, stay curious. Um, and I think, yeah, the one thing that I would try and instill in people is to be critical of what you're learning um, from a perspective of, oh, is this actually going to have the intended impact? Is this actually effective? Is this actually helping people? Is this ethical? All of those questions. Um, because I think at the core of health at every size is that perspective of critical dietetics and critical thinking um, to be able to analyse and reflect and learn from those things rather than just accepting things for what they are, like from a normative approach. So, yeah, stay curious, stay critical, um, because that's what's actually going to move our industry forward and, and give us more compassionate and inclusive care. Mm -hmm. Mm, and I think on the flip side of that, I think the thing that comes to mind for me is being able to, this is kind of left a field, but being able to translate science well. I think a lot of us forget that we're in a science bubble. And I think that knowledge translation of science is something that's forgotten. And I've had to unlearn a lot of that in terms of the role that I've gone into, in terms of really explaining things at a bare minimum when it comes to scientific practices it's something that at uni you're drilled into having a really high level of academic writing. Mm. You got to strip that back and just get your message across and translate science is something that's really hard to do. And if you can keep that, that idea with you from the beginning of your degree, your careers, I think that will last you a really long time. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, they're both. So I love how every time we interview people, like they just give such different, responses but then all some we're gonna put them together in a yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then finally just to wrap up this section what is one bite or the sort of pearl of wisdom that you could give to current nutrition students and new graduates gosh I think for me it would be take a breather and reflect I think you going through what you guys are going through now like you just learn so much and you don't even realize how much you've learned because when you're in the moment you're just trying to like get through the next assignment <laughs> get through the next exam make sure you don't fail and I think really taking stock of what skills you've learned not just the content but the overarching skills and what sat with you has allowed me personally to be able to make career decisions that I'm really comfortable with and I'm going into areas that I'm comfortable with and feel satisfied with. And that might not always be the case, but at least, you know, you've taken stock of everything that you've learned and apply to you and your career. Yeah. I think I'd say kind of the same to be able to just slow down and try and enjoy it if you can, because I think we're, we're quite often like pushing forward and like rushing into the thing when as Bram was saying, like, if you give your yourself a chance to take stock and, like, check in with yourself, um, it allows you to actually be more effective in that you've got more time to take care of yourself and to just, like, see the bigger picture. Um, like I was saying before, like, you don't have to, as a new grad or as a student, you don't have to take every opportunity. You don't have to rush into things. Um, there's always going to be something else that will come up in another a time that will be right for you and I think giving yourself the flexibility and the leeway to kind of be able to slow down and like keep learning and keep exploring is much more valuable than like getting to the highest paid position as fast as you can mm -hmm. even though it might put you back a couple of steps but I think it's yeah 
it's really useful to be able to slow down a bit. No, and I think it goes back to the point that it's been made about looking at that long-term bigger picture um, and really, yeah, it's, it really is a marathon. Um, mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes forget, because this degree is so short, that we do still have time and that we need to, I think, utilise it, not in always in the way that, you know, we're learning all the time or, you know, we're, you know, reading and absorbing all this content, but actually like that time of rest as well um, is super, super critical. So yeah, I 100% agree with you both there. Um. Uh, we always ask, I guess, two questions at the end. The first being, where do you see nutrition going in the future? I see us as like everyone that's gone through a nutrition degree, just inserting themselves in all these different areas, all these different industries. Like even now I, in my, in, in Gen V, another dietitian's joined the team and he's like, Oh my God, you're a dietitian. Like it was a bit of a, we're both kind of sidestepping nutrition and being able to use mm -hmm. dietetic skills in a public mm -hmm. health project. And it's really nice to have, I guess seeing people really spread out like that and be able to see nutrition and dietetics being represented everywhere because we, I genuinely think we can be represented in every single industry that exists ever. Maybe not, but you know, the most of them. <laughs> we can try. We can try. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think nutrition in the future, I guess sort of in comparison to what Bram was saying in that we've got so many skills and so many useful like nuggets of knowledge to share, I guess where I see it going is being much more um, broad and inclusive of other stuff that like happens around nutrition as well in that I think we quite often get forced into like a little bubble of like health outcomes and biochemistry and like, really specific nutrition science but I think there's a really big piece missing in our industry of being able to translate that and share it in a way that's actually empowering to the individual who's going about their own health journey and so I can see us moving into a compassionate and ethical space um, and equipping people with the information that's actually going to help them rather than stigmatize and shame them so that's my hope for it I'm not sure how far off but hopefully we can get there one day <laughs> I loved both of those. I think mm. that's you're just so excited. I think you're really both so passionate and excited about mm. the field and where it's headed. So I think, yeah, that's awesome. And then to finish off, what are your both of your next bites? So the next projects that you're working on? Uh Um I really want to stick around with Gen V. I wanna see where, where we go and where this project goes um and i'm really hoping they'll, they'll let me stick around um, <laughs> so definitely that and i think in complement to that i'm thinking about doing some more study because my hex dead isn't big enough um <laughs> thinking about yeah maybe psychology or public health or um trying to find something that will really complement both the public health side and that one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling side um, but firstly, we're going to get through 2020 and then, and then make decisions. <laughs> yeah. Um, my next bite, gosh, I've kind of, um, I feel like I'm going to be here for a while. I'm going to be in this current position for a while, but 
I guess I'm really excited to see how that's going to grow and shift as the business I work for grows. Um, we do have quite a lot planned in terms of helping support other clinicians in their learning. So we're going to be hopefully um, creating a couple more courses and resources for clinicians. I'm also hoping to eventually go back and do some further study, but that probably won't be for a while. Um, I'm going to try and do a degree in applied positive psychology, which is rather than like the clinical side of things, like a bigger picture sort of systems thinking approach um, to well-being. And then, yeah, I guess we'll see. I've got big plans for like our industry. I'm hoping to have a, an impact, um, but it's kind of like slow going, biding my time. Um, but it's also growing really fast, which is exciting. <laughs> I think you've both definitely had an impact. <laughs> um, yeah, yes. and even like I do just, if I mean, the people that listen to your podcast I know you've really both really um I, I feel like I can't speak for everyone but I can definitely speak for myself and say that you guys both really inspired me and just I think yeah thank you for just I guess your like I guess putting your platform out there but then just you know sharing such interesting ideas that I, I always just I finish you know listening to you have a conversation I just keep thinking and I think that's just awesome. I think it's really great when you can inspire other people to then go and form their own ideas and, you know, as you said, kind of critically analyze. So thank you so much, mm -hmm. both of you, for the amazing work that you do. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Aww. We don't really get to, yeah. yeah. We don't really know how many people listen. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that one for the testimonials on our website. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's really lovely to feel like we're having an impact and being able to share, you know, our experiences and the things that we've learned with other people and hopefully help, you know, shape their careers and their progression because I think that's sort of what we got into this for is to be able to support other people in navigating this stuff and, and learning about themselves and yeah this space so yeah it's really lovely to hear and thank you for I guess continuing we've got such a great platform here to share so much with other people as well um it's really exciting to have yeah the, the place for the space for it Thank you so much for tuning into this episode with Liza and Bran. This was so special and it was incredible to be able to interview and absorb so much incredible inspiration from two dietitians making waves in the nutrition space. And I think Liza and Bran really demonstrate that you can take this degree and really do you know, what you want with it and actually mold it to your paradigm and belief systems when it comes to nutrition so we hope you take a lot of inspiration and learnings out of this episode and we will be back in your ears with one more guest next week uh, before we wrap up the season but we'll give a bit more information about that next week have a great uh, rest of your week in week 10 and we'll see you next week